0: A couple of years ago, that being like 10, um, my wife Dara and I went on a missions trip, and it was pretty rough. Um, we spent a year—not uh, a year—we spent a month in Europe. Um, you know, we we played some games, we sang some songs, um, we did some skits. I don't—I don't know if you've ever seen the. Um, everything Lifehouse get, but we did do that, and if you haven't, don't go look it up, but we did that. Um, one of the guys on, on the trip, uh, you know, as we're leaving, you, you got to bring stuff back for yourself, for your family and stuff, um, so he bought all this chocolate, you know, European quality chocolate. It's great. We come back, and like a week later, Dara and I are walking through Walmart, and we see it there on the shelf. We're like, of course. Of course, you know, like, yeah, that about sums it up. But, you know, it was, it was a pretty rough trip. Um, we even shared the gospel with some people. So, you know, there's that. But after that, after that month, you know, doing whatever uh, the missionaries there and such wanted us to do, sharing the gospel, playing games with kids and all that. After that month, we come home, and now What? Was that our big contribution to the global mission of God, to making disciples of the nations? Was, was that it? What do we do now in our everyday lives? How do we go through, walk through life? In the book of Colossians, Paul has been walking us through what having a firm foundation on Jesus looks like, and how we live that out practically. We saw that in our own lives, we are to be putting on the new self and putting off the old self, being built up in him. Last week, Brent walked us through the household and and showed us how it even affects our household structure. Now, this week, as we start to come into the closing of the book, I believe Paul builds off of that, and he discusses how Christ changed our view of our interactions in the world. Those outside ourselves, those outside our household, outside of our church even, those in the world. And these three main arenas of life and discipleship, we've been walking through them, them being, you know, we are to be a disciple— we are to raise disciples, and we are to make disciples. So how does God do this? What is God's method to accomplish this end? He uses people, right? He uses people to accomplish his mission. His mission, that being spreading his glory throughout the nations through the salvation of his people. Now, obviously, the first thought that comes to our minds is missionaries, right? You know, missionaries who, people who dedicate their life to this work or missions trips going into the nations. The problem is that that isn't most of us, is it? That's not what we here have been called to do. And that's why we're here this morning and not somewhere else. That's a small group of people. So then, are we to be concerned with this mission of God? And how do we participate in it? How do we practically participate in this global mission of God? You know, people with jobs and with families and with hobbies, because ministry people don't have those things. Uh, and how do we do it? How do we participate in that? Turn with me to Colossians 4. We're going to be in verses 2 through 6 this morning. And I believe Paul answers that question for us. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. It says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word "...to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person." Paul shows us here that we are called to participate in the mission of God in two main ways. Those are through prayer and through the way that we simply live our everyday lives. Those are what we are striving towards. So first, we're going to look at prayer. And how, how does prayer, how does simply our prayers affect that? How do we participate in that through prayer? Prayer. Well, he gives us instruction here. He tells us how to pray and what to pray for. And I believe he starts here because everything in life builds off of this. The way we act, the way we think, the decisions that we make, they all can and should be influenced through our relationship with God and through our prayer to him. They flow out of the life of prayer. So first, we see that we participate in the mission of God By being a people devoted to prayer. Mission starts with prayer. But we have to know how to pray. And Paul tells us how how to pray. We see this throughout the Bible, though. God uses people of prayer, doesn't he? All throughout the Bible, there's examples. Hannah prayed and bore a son. Asa prayed and victory was won. We see the church prayed and Peter walked free out of prison. Elijah, I mean, Elijah was a man of prayer. He prayed and brought fire down from heaven. So how do we pray like these people, like these men and women of God? In verse two, it tells us, steadfastly, being watchful, and with thanksgiving. We need to be steadfast in it. This is important because if we are to influence and not be influenced by the world, we have to steadfastly be in communion with God. This could also be translated in your Bible as devote yourself, same idea. This is only said in reference to prayer in the New Testament. It's the thing that God specifically is calling us to be steadfast in, prayer. But we are, we are distracted, aren't we? We live in an age of distractions. I mean, it's, we can hardly go through any even short amount of time without being distracted by something. That being our phones, social media, the TV, uh, I mean, radio, music, podcast. we need to be entertained. We're addicted to entertainment and having our attention grabbed by something. Our senses continually stimulated. Think about this, and, and some of us are better, some of you are better than some of us at this, but when was the last time you had an extended period of silence? No distractions. Can you think of a time? One that, you know, wasn't you silently strolling through Twitter. And I know the moms are like, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. But think about it. Nothing fighting for your attention. There's a lot of ways in which we can get this and should be, but you know, for example, we drive a lot today. I mean, maybe less in the last couple of months than previously, but we drive a lot in our age. What are we doing while we're driving? We're listening to music. When we're at home, the TV's probably on or our phones are out. We're listening to a podcast. And I'm not trying to say these are all bad things, but to illustrate a point, we are distracted and in need of entertainment, What this does is it leaves us no time to be simply in the presence of God. It's really hard to be steadfast in the presence of God when we don't have a moment of silence. To be before God. Martin Luther, I mean, I could have just come up here and quoted him for 40 minutes because he has so much to say on prayer. But I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to give you like three or four. Martin Luther on prayer said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours of my day in prayer. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. As is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to make shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. That is just a few of many things he said, and I think our first thought, uh, and mine, was, well, I, I mean, Luther lived, you know, forever ago. He had less distractions. He had less things to do. He didn't have very many important things to do, but, I mean, listen, he he was raising a ruckus and starting a reformation that we, today, over 500 years later, benefit from. So, He had things to do. He was turning the entire church on its head. But why are we still benefiting from that? Because he was steadfast. We need to learn the art of being steadfast in prayer. He didn't have less important things to do. We just fill our time with less important things. So I challenge you and myself to stop and pray. Take, take one commute this week to, instead of listening to the next podcast, pray. I mean, that could easily be 30 minutes an hour. See how it affects and changes your life. See, the mission never stops, and thus the need for prayer never stops. God's kingdom is steadfastly growing, and to be a part of that, we need to be steadfastly in prayer. And let me tell you if this is difficult for you, a great place to start if you have kids is with your kids. Oliver, my three year old, helped my family's prayer life probably more than anything in like the last seven years once we taught him to pray and try to set an example, suddenly we could not sit down to eat or go to bed without praying because he demanded it. And often that meant that he was the one to pray, but he demanded it. So kids here this morning, don't let your parents not pray. The next time you sit down to eat, make sure they pray with you. Before you go to bed, make sure they pray with you. Be steadfast in it. Be watchful in it as well. We're called to be watchful. This means to take heed, lest through remission or indolence some destructive calamity suddenly overtakes you. This reminds me of like a, a watchman on the wall of a castle looking out. His job is to make sure no danger is coming in. Always ready Always alert, not drifting into slumber. And this is our view of prayer. This is how we pray, being watchful in it. It's our first line of defense. And Jesus illustrates this so well for us in Matthew, Matthew 26, 40 to 41. He says, And he came to the disciples. This is, he was going off before, being betrayed, being arrested, and he was praying. He went off to pray, and he says, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak, and we need to be watchful in prayer. We need to be steadfast, not even letting an hour go by. That is the kind of prayer life that Peter or Paul is calling us to. That is what Jesus commanded the disciples. With it, this is what Jesus illustrates. With it, you see those coming and to capture and kill. You're aware, you're ready, you're watchful. Without it, you are completely unaware. They're able to walk right by. You have no defense against. Sin and Satan. Be watchful in it. Be devoted to it. And once again, I have to go to Luther because he has so much to say on this. He said, if I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. I have so much business I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. How many of us here would describe our prayer lives like that? Steadfast and watchful. Certainly not me. I need this. Steadfast, watchful, with thanksgiving. Do so with thanksgiving, because this grounds us. We need to remind ourselves of our need for the gospel as well, that we need our hearts transformed We need God to change our lives and our hearts. We are prone to wander, so we need to be watchful. And this is how we pray before we know what to pray for and how to pray, what to pray towards. We need to do so with thanksgiving. Our thanks brings us back to God. It makes us devoted to him. That is how we are to pray. Steadfast, watchfully with thanksgiving. But what are we to pray towards? What do we pray towards? The next two verses, Paul tells us. Verses 3 and 4, he says, At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. See, we participate in the mission of God by praying for the expansion of the gospel. We need to be devoted to it. That is how and now what for the expansion of the gospel. Remember, Paul's in prison here. He is behind a locked cell door. Yet what is he asking prayer for? Not that his physical cell door would be open, but that the spiritual cell door of the sinner's heart would be open to the word of God. And he believes that through their prayer, this goal would be accomplished. That the steadfast, devoted prayers of the church has the power to overcome sin and death. And the church got to participate in his ministry and outreach by praying on his behalf. This was their contribution to his gospel work, to the mission of God going out through Paul. They weren't sending him a bunch of money. They were praying that his speech would be clear and that it would convict hearts for God. And he believes that that would happen. James says that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It has great power. And this is what Paul knew and this is what Paul was coveting. The great power of the righteous, steadfast believer. That is how they got to participate in this bigger picture of the Mission of God through making disciples outside of just their church and their city. That they got to pray on behalf of what was happening elsewhere. And Paul believed that through that, it would be accomplished. Do we pray like that? Do we have this view of prayer? Jesus said it's easier to physically heal than to spiritually heal. Prayer does far more than we give credit to. And Paul believed that. As the power to make clear the mystery of Christ. This is the call for us to participate in the global mission of God through prayer, going forth as an act of making disciples. Through it, God opens doors for the truth to be heard. And through it, our hearts are transformed to his. It says, the mystery made clear. And this is not just audibly heard. This is clearly heard the clarity of the mystery of Christ. What what is the mystery of Christ? The gospel for all people. That all are welcome into the family of God. This is Foolishness to the Gentiles, and this is a stumbling block to the Jews. But Paul is calling us to use prayers as a means to overcome that, to make what cannot be naturally heard, heard through a spiritual transformation in them. Do we pray like this? Do we have a bigger view, vision? Of our prayer lives. You know, I know of a time and a place that we can do this every month. Fourth Sunday prayer meeting here at the church, nine o'clock. And right now I'm preaching to myself because I am not there. But we need to pray. We need to be in prayer and we need to have a bigger vision for prayer. We need to pray as a church. There is a lot of room for growth in this area. I think part of the problem is that we don't believe in its power and ability. But through steadfast prayer, the gospel goes forth. The the mission of God goes forth in the world. We see it happen. Well, let me tell you, this is, this is great news for us introverts. All I have to do is pray. I can be a part of this global mission. All I have to do is pray. That's great. I'll put Luther to shame. Pray all day. Suddenly it doesn't look so hard. Unfortunately, that's where we come to our next point. And, uh, I was tempted to uh, separate these sections and say, you know, this is the introvert's participation. This is the extrovert's participation. But unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. The Bible doesn't work like that. So uh, we're going to go with biblical accuracy over being clever. So once again, what are we looking at? We're looking at how we, everyday people of God, participate in the mission, the global mission of God, making disciples through the nation, spreading His glory for the salvation of His people, We do that through steadfast prayer, being devoted to it, being watchful in it, with thanksgiving, on behalf of the gospel going forth. It's very practical. But we see another way in which we are called to participate in this. Look with me at verse 5. It says, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. we also participate in the mission of God by living out godly wisdom. Now notice the connection here between how we are to pray and how we are to walk. We are called to be watchful in prayer and wise as we walk. What does being watchful lead to? If you are watchful, that should lead to making wise decisions. You're thoughtful. So, if we are praying the way we should, then this starts to naturally flow out of it. And not necessarily the other way around, but through a dedicated life of prayer, the gospel flows out of us. We walk in wisdom, we make wise decisions. This is not a mistake. Paul understands the connection here. These two arenas of our life, this spiritual health in life, and then our daily walk and decisions, they're very much connected. And when we fail in one, we will in turn fail in the other. It bleeds into the other one. So be watchful in prayer so that you can walk wisely towards God outsiders. What does that mean, though? Walk wisely towards outsiders. Who are outsiders? Now, there's two types of people in the world. There's insiders and there's outsiders. That is in regards to the kingdom of God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you are an insider in his kingdom. If you are not, then the Bible calls you an outsider of the walls of the kingdom of God. So Paul's calling us to have wisdom towards those outside, the unbelievers, outside of the church. What does this look like? The goal here is to bring them in. That is the end goal. That is the mission of God, to bring outsiders into the kingdom of God. We want to make them insiders with us. And one of the ways that we do that is by going out, right? We can't come in contact with them unless we go out. And as everyday workers and moms and travelers and grocery buyers, we are out in the world every day, naturally. There's no way of getting around it. So as we are out, what are we to do? Be wise. Redeem the time that we're given. We're only given so much time every day, every week, in our lifetime. So redeem it by making it gospel-centric. Consider your interactions with people. People who don't know you. In every interaction, at any point, Would you, and this is something I've thought about, and um, sometimes it's a little embarrassing, but would you be embarrassed to say at any point, oh, hey, I'm a Christian. I don't know if you knew that. Just, you know, interaction with a random person while you're driving at the grocery store. Or would you be embarrassed if they were to just walk through the door of church and you were greeting? You're like, oh, hey, that was you at the gas station I yelled at. Walk in wisdom towards them. 1 Corinthians says that he chose the foolishness in the world in his wisdom. So biblical wisdom isn't worldly wisdom. So to walk in wisdom towards outsiders isn't looking necessarily wise in the world's eyes. And we saw that again last week with how we structure our household. That's not necessarily the way the world does, especially not today. But that is how God has made it, and that's how we thus walk in wisdom. We stand firm on the wisdom of God. We set the example for the world. And this may make them mad. This, they may very much disagree with you. But we... Walk in it. We set our biblical lifestyle choices, our household choices, our sexual identity choices, our biblical justice, all of these things, they're informed by the word of God because God is wise and the world is foolish. And we use every opportunity that we have to share this wisdom and display it for the world. That is what Paul is calling us to do. We realize that as we grow as disciples and as we raise disciples, this wisdom can't stay within the bounds of our home. It can't stay within the bounds of our church. It walks with us everywhere we go. So we pray for watchfulness, being prepared to use every opportunity given to us for the kingdom, and maybe, just maybe, through our interactions with someone, they may hear clearly the mystery of Christ and wander into the castle and kingdom of God. That is always our goal. That's always on our minds. That's our mission. That's God's mission. So we redeem the time, making every opportunity, every moment for Christ, seeking to glorify him in all that we do and say. St. <clears throat> Francis of Assisi gets a really bad rap, and I think he had good intentions in his, in his quote, but he really did, in some ways, miss the mark when he said, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. Because the gospel is words. And our good interactions with people may be that first seed that is planted in their lives for christ but for them to become an insider and walk into the kingdom of god they must hear the mystery of christ become clear and to do that we have to speak so it's quite it's it's really not not quite as as cheeky so it probably won't catch on but uh, i think a more accurate way of saying that would be to walk in wisdom and at uh, every given opportunity use words Every opportunity. Because as Paul goes on to say, there is, words are that final aspect to this. In verse 6, he says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So we use words graciously, seasoned with salt, knowing how to answer. And when we are in awe of the goodness and grace of God in our lives, then we will know how to answer. And again, we see a connection here between how we pray and how we walk. There's a connection. We are to pray with thanksgiving and we are to speak graciously. If you know that you were at one time dead in your sins, that you were an outsider, undeserving of salvation, but Christ came and saved you and made you his own, if that is on your mind and you walk in that, then you will speak graciously with those who have not experienced that yet. Because you know, you are just as undeserving. And and God is just as glorious. So once again, we see that God shapes and he molds our hearts through prayer. Be gracious, but also seasoned with salt. And when we combine these, what we see is that we participate in the mission of God by revealing the goodness of God and the brokenness of the world. We graciously reveal the goodness of God yet it's seasoned with salt, and we reveal the brokenness of this world. The Bible illustrates this idea of salt as unbelievers being the salt of the earth in a number of places, specifically in Matthew. But what does this mean? What does salt do? There's a lot of things that salt does. Uh, One, it preserves, but another is it brings to life. It brings to life something that is bland. You put salt on your food because if you don't, it doesn't really taste like much. Salt brings out what is there. And now it hasn't changed the fruit, the food. It's still the same plate of food, but what has the salt done? It's given it new life. It's a night and day difference. And this is what God does when he saves. He opens our eyes to his glories. The the mystery of God revealed. salt so makes what was plain glorious and we can see this through i mean look at creation think of the most amazing view you've ever seen whether that's a body of water or an ocean a mountain whatever it is when you look at that as a believer you're in awe of god and someone who doesn't know God looks at that. I mean, it might be awesome, but it was a mistake. I mean, it's just random. God brings life into that, and we see the glories of Him. That is what salt does. But salt does another thing as well. And I'm sure you've experienced this one. Have you ever gotten salt on your hand and you, and you had a cut? You may not even know you had a cut, but then it starts to burn and it hurts. And you're like, "Wow, where did that cut come from?" Salt reveals brokenness and hurt. We see this in Proverbs 27:6. Says, "Faithful are the wounds of a friend; profuse are the kisses of an enemy." Gracious season with salt. That is the faithful wounds of a friend. That is how we walk and we speak with the world. And just like how sometimes salt can hurt and it doesn't feel good, the world may not like it, but we walk in it. We walk in the wisdom of God. We participate in the mission of God by revealing that there is something better, that God is good, and this world is broken. This really isn't easy in a very emotionally charged world. It's not easy to be gracious. It's not easy to speak in a way that is truthful, but also kind. But that's what we have been called to do. We want our neighbors. We want our city. We want our nation. We want our world to bow to Jesus and adopt his laws as their own, but that isn't accomplished through just season with salt. That also has to be through grace and love. So we combine those together and we graciously reveal the goodness of God and the brokenness of this world. And when we do all this, Paul says that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Why? Because the mystery has become clear to us. We know how to answer in truth. We know how to answer in wisdom. We have adopted this devoted life of prayer. We are walking in godly wisdom, and we know how to answer each person. That is a result of what Paul is calling us to do here. The natural result of living this way is rightly responding to the world. And that doesn't mean we have the answer for everything. We're not perfect. We mess up. But if nothing else in our failure, we point people to Jesus and to his goodness. And in that, once again, as I said earlier, we are all different. Some of us don't naturally do that as well as others. But we do all have one thing in common, and that is the salt of the gospel, That is one thing that we all have. We all have the same message to share. The same message that Paul himself had. And in that, we can all participate in the mission of God in equal fashion. It may not look the same, but we all do so. By simply being dedicated to a life of prayer and by allowing the gospel to influence our every decision and interaction. So yes, God does use missionaries. You know, and when missions teams and organizations go out and send a group and plan a church, that is amazing work. We need that as a church. We put money towards that as a church to see that accomplished. But is that the majority of the work? I would say that's like the 1%. Because after that, after that seed has been planted, then what? The foundation has been laid, and the real work and building begins. And that's where we come in. Paul planted, but the church watered, and the church cared for that plant as it grew. The mission of God is accomplished through the everyday lives and efforts of the body of Christ, living out the mystery of Christ in this world. We are called to participate in that today. It grows through the daily work and prayer of the 99%. That's us. Are we living that way? Do you see that in your life? Is that the goal of your days, your weeks, your months? That yourself, your household, your neighbor, your neighborhood, your community, the nation, the world, that they would all come into A knowledge of God. That is the way God works. That is the way he is making disciples and conquering the world. It's through the works of each of us in our own communities, in our own ways. We must be people devoted to redeeming the time for the furthering of the mission of God. That being his glory spread through the nations for the salvation of his people, starting right here. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for what you've done in our lives. And I pray that we would live that out in our everyday interactions. Lord, I pray that we would be devoted to prayer and that through that, we would allow that to transform our lives and our interactions. That your mission would be our mission in life. that we would live not to grow our own kingdom, but we we would live to see yours built in this world, to see even just one more person come into faithful communion with you. We love you. We praise you this morning. In your name, amen.